We live in a day, beloved, when to understand the figure of the text takes work on our part. A fountain opened. We live in a day when we open fountains all the time. We go to the bathtub and turn on the water or the shower. We open the, the tap in the kitchen sink and water comes out unendingly and unceasingly. There's enough to drink. There's enough to wash in. And there's more besides. But the prophet prophesied to a people in a very different day and in a very different culture. To people who had to go outside of the city to a well perhaps and get a bucket or two buckets of water as much as a human could possibly carry into the city and make that trip time and time again and therefore one preserved one's water. You didn't take a shower. You didn't fill a bathtub to be cleansed. You had a, as it were, a sponge bath. You didn't drink and drink and drink and some of the water you were drinking was going down the drain. There was so much. You drank a little and every drop. That's how it was in Israel. If it was a spring instead of the town well, then that spring too could dry up. Especially if it gushed perhaps in the springtime of the year when the snows of Mount Hermon were melting, then later on in the year there was just a trickle to come out of it. And to such a people, the prophet says, there will be a fountain opened so that unendingly, unceasingly, in abundance flows forth water and you will be cleansed. The promise of the text does not regard physical water, but a cleansing from sin, and therefore a cleansing that the blood of Jesus Christ gives us through the work of the Holy Spirit. That's evident from a number of considerations. In the first place, the prophet keeps speaking of that day. And that day is the day of the kingdom of the Messiah when it's come. The day when the Lord Jesus Christ has come and is exalted as the king and has made the kingdom of God a glorious kingdom in that day. In the second place, as the prophet points ahead to that day, he speaks of one event that must yet come to pass. He spoke of it twice in the verses that we read, and that is the death of Christ. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced and shall mourn for him. And again in chapter 13, 7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. In other words, This fountain is opened only in the atoning death of Jesus Christ, apart from which atoning death there is no, that day, no glorious kingdom. And in the third place, that the prophet is speaking of no earthly water, but of a spiritual cleansing from sin, is evident again from chapter 12, verse 10, when he describes the mourning, the grief, the sorrow of the people of Judah who have come to see their sin for what it is. 
Israel had a hard time learning that, what sin really is. In the wilderness, she sinned again and again, and it seemed never quite learned, against thee only have I sinned, and I've become blood guilty in my sins. In the time of the judges, she seemed not to have learned. In the time of the kings, she seemed not to have learned. A chastisement of the Babylonian captivity, now past from the point of view of which Zechariah speaks, seems not fully to have taught her there's going to come a day when the people of God see their sin for what it is. And they're going to mourn. In that day, there will be a fountain opened. You and I, beloved, live in that day. And today, we see that we are cleansed at that fountain. I call your attention to the text under the theme, A Fountain Opened. Notice with me first, the unending stream. Second, the sin-cleansing effect. And third, the divine opening. The fountain of which the text speaks is the Lord Jesus Christ and all the blessings of salvation that come from Him by the Holy Spirit. And that's evident not just from the context, which I've been pointing out to you. The entire chapters 9-14, through the whole second half of the prophecy, speak of this kingdom of Jesus Christ. But it's also evident from other places in Scripture in which the Scriptures speak of Christ or Jehovah God whom Christ represents as a fountain. Says Jeremiah to the people of Israel, that they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. And, says Jesus Christ, especially to the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, I'm a fountain. He didn't use those words. He put it this way. The person who drinks of this water of the well shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into life everlasting. Jesus Christ is the fountain. The question though is why is he referred to by this figure or metaphor? The answer is in the first place that a fountain is a source of water. It's not just the stream. It's not just the water as it goes on down the river, but the fountain is the very source of the water. And our Lord Jesus Christ is not just a component of salvation, part of salvation, but is the very source of salvation and all the benefits of salvation that we have in Him. Our Lord Jesus Christ is that both from the viewpoint of his human nature, that is, he took our flesh on himself in order to show that he bore our sins and our infirmities. But he is that also in his divine nature. And of course, you can't understand the text apart from knowing that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And therefore, being God in the flesh, there is no limit to what He can do, no limit to His love for His church, 
no limit to the blessings of salvation that he pours out upon his church so that he cleanses and he cleanses fully and freely. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. 1 John 1, verse 7. And along with his cleansing work, he quenches a great thirst. It's especially as the second point will drive home, the sin-cleansing effect of the fountain that our text has in mind. But don't forget that what that same fountain in which you bathe to be cleansed is a fountain from which you can drink. And part of the fountain that has its source and its origin in Jesus Christ includes the Holy Spirit and all the blessings of salvation that come from Christ through the Holy Spirit, so that he'll say again to the Jews in John 7, verse 38, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. In the first place then, Jesus Christ is called a fountain because he is not just a component of salvation, but the very source of salvation from which all flows. And in the second place, our Lord is called a fountain because the waters of salvation that come from him do not just come in drips and drops and in sluggish streams, but come forcefully and unendingly. When this fountain is opened, it's not like a stream that trickles out of your faucet when the faucet it can't quite shut off when the washer needs replacing, or that trickles out of your faucet unendingly, sure, but just a small trickle because it's plugged up somehow and gummed up and it needs to be cleaned. When the fountain of salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ is opened, the blessings of salvation come out in an unending, forceful flow. He does not just pour out on you and me or give to you and to me a little token of salvation here, a little reminder of it there, but both in our cleansing from sin and in the power of the Holy Spirit working faith, sanctification, and all the blessings of salvation, His blessings come ceaselessly and unendingly and in great measure, and never will these blessings dry up. You make that your confession? You look to your Lord and Savior and say, Of Him, from Him, to Him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. And does that lead you and me to stop looking for salvation anywhere else other than in Him? It may be that in this past week as we've examined ourselves and seen our sins that we said, I'm sure glad I'm going to the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is going to strengthen me. It's going to remind me that I'm stronger. I can be stronger. And in my strength that I get from that supper, I, I will fight my sin. Let the Word of God in every 
place you read it, but also in our text, rid you of that idea. Oh, we will be strengthened today at the supper of our Lord. No doubt about it. But not strengthened so that we can overcome sin. Rather, strengthened also in this respect that we see if we look to any man, any woman, any mere human, anyone else or ourselves as the one from whom cleansing can be found and in whom power can be found. Forget it. Look to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, alone from Him. All blessings flow. The word of the opening of a fountain is a word of prophecy. And the first thing I want to underscore in that connection is that if it's a word of prophecy, then the prophet is speaking of what will happen someday, but what the people of God in the day in which he spoke do not fully experience. Not that in the Old Testament there was no forgiveness of sins, nor that there was no Holy Spirit working, no regeneration, no sanctification, but that these did not come yet evidently from the shed blood of Christ, for He had not yet come to shed His blood, and these did not flow forth in an unending stream. People of God in the Old Testament knew of salvation. They knew of the forgiveness of sins. It was their testimony and experience. The believers did. Read David and. Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. And understand that by going to the temple and bringing their sacrifices, the shedding of the blood of an animal, but now not the pouring out of that blood over a person, just the sprinkling, just the sprinkling of the blood on a person. The picture was, there is forgiveness, there is new life, But it's not yet an unending, abundant stream. Not only because Jesus Christ had not come and made atonement, but also because although the Holy Spirit did work in the Old Testament, He was not yet poured out. That would be the prophecy of Joel also. A day would come when instead of having a prophet for 20 years here, And then going a while without any prophet. And then another prophet for 20 or 30 years there. The day would come when your young men and your old men and your young and old women will all prophesy the Holy Spirit will be poured out. Do you see the radical change of which the prophet is speaking? You and I might take for granted that of which he speaks, but for the people of God in the Old Testament, this created a hope, a longing, a yearning for that day. In that day, a fountain will be opened. Also, in giving the prophecy, the prophet speaks of the beneficiaries of this great event. To the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. He focuses here on the royal house, the house of David, and the inhabitants of the capital or royal city, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. But his point is not that that no Israelite living anywhere else in the land of promise 
or one who's not directly of the house of David could possibly share in these blessings. His point rather is this. That the Lord Jesus Christ who will come as priest will also be king. And that both in his priestly and kingly work and prophetic work is to be found the salvation for which we look and and long. In other words, the beneficiaries are those who are in Christ and of his house by a true and living faith. There is a limit to the beneficiaries of this prophecy. Anyone who is not united to Christ by a true and living faith, or in the Old Testament, who did not bow himself to and submit to the king of the house of David, any such, will not find himself cleansed from this fountain. The Philistines, the Egyptians, but even in Israel, some who said, I don't need that blood, and I don't need that Messiah. I can take care of my own standing before God. Such would not find cleansing and forgiveness. But those who look to Christ, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, referring now to all who are part of the true church of Christ, elected from eternity, they, and therefore beloved, You and I are the beneficiaries of this prophecy. A fountain opened. That unending stream doesn't flow without purpose. When Jehovah God opens for his people a fountain, he does so so that we may go to that fountain. And the purpose set forth in the text and the effect for sin and for uncleanness. The fountain is open to cleanse us from our sins. The prophet has spoken in the context of sins of which the Jews were guilty. Again, having returned from captivity... But not having learned their lesson well, they must be admonished and rebuked for sin. There is in the first place the sin of idolatry. And that sin of idolatry manifested itself especially in the false prophets that were prevalent in that day. Men who said, I will prophesy, I prophesy in the name of the Lord. Listen to me. And in that day, there won't be false prophets. There won't be false prophets because there won't be idolatry. And in that day, anyone who tries to be a prophet but is not will have a father and mother loving the Lord saying, We won't let you live, son. We will put you to death because we love Jehovah and we renounce the idols who you really are representing when you claim to represent Jehovah. The prophet goes on to speak of The prophets themselves being ashamed. They'll put aside their rough garments like John the Baptist wore, which they wore only to try to deceive you. False prophecy and idolatry. But there's a second sin that the prophet refers to in the context 
And that sin is the killing of the Messiah himself. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And if it isn't the very specific, it is, it is a reference to the very specific act of Jews joining in and asking Pilate's permission to kill the Christ. But even more, the sin is that of any Jew or of any professing Christian today who says, Christ, you know, I'll be quiet about this, but I really don't think much of him. I don't really need him. I'll keep quiet so that I can stay in the church and all will go well with me. But I'd kill him again if I had that opportunity. The sins that the prophet refers to in the context are not small, insignificant trifles. I don't mean sin is ever a trifle. But I mean, as you and I examined ourselves this past week, we saw times when we sinned blatantly, deliberately against the law of God. It's those sorts of sins that the prophet has in mind when he says there's a fountain open for sin and for uncleanness. And now the argument is from the greater to the lesser. If the Lord's blood covers those sins, and they also cover the other sins we saw this week, sins of weakness, the sins of nature, the sins that we commit against our will in us, the momentary thought of sin which we recognize and put aside and fight against and yet are guilty of before the Lord our God Big sins and small, if you want to categorize them that way. So really it comes down to all sin. All sin. For sin, whether you call it big or small, is transgression of God's covenant. It's a reason for Jehovah God to say, you may not come to my house. You may not eat at my table. You may not call yourselves my children. I am the holy God. You are sinners. Yet that God says to his sons and daughters, no, come. Eat. You are my sons and daughters. I am the holy God. You are sinners. But I've washed. I have washed your sins. In the blood of Jesus Christ. You understand young people. There's a mentality in Christendom today. That all may come. And I'm not just referring now to all coming to the table of the Lord. It it has that practical effect or implication. But that God receives us as we are. And that's entirely contrary to the gospel. The gospel does not teach that God receives us as we are. But that God receives us. As we are in Christ. And therefore, 
Not as we are even though we have sin, but as we are seeing our sin. Seeing that our sin is transgression of God's covenant and beseeching Him to forgive, to show mercy, to put our sins aside that we might be received into fellowship with Him again. What sins then? What sins have you seen in your own life in this past week of self-examination, which you must confess? In your mind right now, you must have them prominent. And you must say, as I come to this table today, I go through that fountain and that stream that flows from it, and I come knowing I'm righteous in Christ. We need that fountain because not just from God's viewpoint are we sinners who need cleansing, but from our own viewpoint, we are filthy and dirty. Sin does that to us. You know it, I know it. And that's the reason why we sometimes try to ignore our sin, to pass over it, to pretend it didn't exist, so that we can deal, we think, it's not the right way to do it, but deal with the effect the feeling of guilt and of shame. Yet one who comes to Jehovah God and Jesus Christ and comes to worship Him and to His table must say, I am guilty and I know it. It made me filthy. I am ashamed of myself. I need this cleansing that's found in Jesus Christ. And then we come to the table of the Lord and hear the gospel and see displayed for us the signs and the seals of cleansing and we say, Now I don't feel dirty anymore. Washed. When David in Psalm 51 prayed that the Lord would wash him, it wasn't only with reference to the guilt of sin that he made that prayer. And the prophet, as he speaks of washing, also isn't limiting himself to the guilt of sin but to the corruption, to the defilement, to the fact that sin breeds sin and unholiness. We've been washed in that blood. A fountain is opened to you for your sin and uncleanness. And when that fountain is opened and we're washed in it, the purpose of God in providing it is that He might consummate His covenant with us. For He who is holy would still have fellowship with sinners. He who is righteous with us who are unrighteous. And he says, I know a way to do this. I know a way to bring a sinner into fellowship with me. That still does justice to my justice and righteousness. It is the way of the blood of Christ. So we come into his house as a child to his father's. And to his table as a child to his father's. And have communion with our Lord and Savior. No man, hearing the words of this prophecy, could say to himself, Well, That's going to be quite a day. We hope that day comes soon. Men of Jerusalem, get your shovels. Get your pickaxes. We're going to go dig this fountain open. 
No man, God, fulfills his prophecies. The fountain is opened by God himself. And that too is implied in the text. In that day there shall be a fountain opened. What sinner can do it? How could he? But Jehovah will. The opening of that fountain is the work of the triune God, of our Father of whom we've been speaking, a Father who would receive us into fellowship with Himself, but a Father who sent a Son. And the opening of that fountain can be dated very really to a day. We called it Good Friday. The Jews called it Passover. But a very specific Passover. When Jesus Christ himself was arrested and the day after was crucified and hung on the cross and bore the wrath of God in full. It is as if that fountain could not be opened until that day because the wrath of God had not been satisfied in full. But when Jesus Christ our Lord hung on the cross and bore the wrath of God, even tasting hell and its miseries for us, and cried out, it is finished, the wrath of God is born in full, that Jehovah God said, now enough has been done. Now the dam may burst. Now the waters may gush forth. It is finished. And from that day on, the fountain is open. This is the testimony, not just of the gospel, but of the supper of our Lord. The broken bread. The poured out wine. A picture of his crucified body and of his shed blood. Saying to you and to me, look. That was the moment in history at which the fountain was opened. At which there was a real unending cleansing for you and for me. But you can't speak of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross apart from the day of Pentecost, and you can't speak of the work of salvation that the Father does and that the Son does apart from the work that the Holy Spirit will do. But even Zechariah spoke also of pouring out a spirit of grace and of supplications in the context The work of the Holy Spirit is not that of opening the fountain. The Holy Spirit is not the source from which all blessings come. Rather, He is the one who causes those blessings to have a saving effect on you and on me. He applies them to you and to me. He does so in such a way that they save you and me. Wash away our sin and sanctify us. For as the waters of a flood, a dam that breaks, can drown and can destroy. Yet here, to the people of God, instead of drowning and destroying, they wash away sin and they quench thirst. The explanation for that is that the Holy Spirit applies them in measure to the child of God. And so, testifies in your heart And in mine, your sins are forgiven. It's always a danger when we come to the table of the Lord. 
that we see the sign and the seal still only in an intellectual sense. Oh, sins are forgiven. Sins. When our Lord says to you today, eat. You eat. And he says to you today, you drink. He does not mean to say, and the Holy Spirit is not just testifying, sins, some category, but he's saying, your sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit makes this personal for you and for me. And in making it personal, He assures us. Jesus Christ had you in mind when He died for those whom the Father had given Him, you were one of them. He knew that. And He says to you and me today, now, eat and drink and rest assured that if that fountain has been opened and if for you today is the forgiveness of sins and the benefits of life everlasting and growth in faith and sanctification, if that is true for you today and if this fountain is an unending stream that the word that comes to you today is a word that is meant until the day you die for this stream will never dry up. Oh, what a day we live in. The fulfillment of this prophecy. And what a day we have yet to look forward to. When the prophecy is fulfilled to its greatest, when we sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb, when we eat at another feast, and we say, never again will I doubt. Never again will I fear. I know His word is true. My sins. Forgiven. Believe it, beloved. Amen. Apply thy word, Heavenly Father, to our heart. And now signify and seal it by the sacrament of which we are partake. For Christ's sake and to the glory of thy name. Amen.